Hey y'all, welcome back. I'm Thomas Mooney and you're listening to New Slang. We're on episode 190 with Mike Harmeyer of Mike and the Moon Pies and album producer Adam Odor. The Moon Pies are releasing a new record tomorrow. That would be Tuesday, August 10th. It is their eighth studio record and it's called One to Grow On, which this record didn't take too long to get familiar with. It grew on me pretty quickly. I went down home this past weekend and it was pretty much the only thing I listened to the whole way over and back, which is a pretty apt setting for this record. Much of this record, it revolves around the central character who Mike created during this past year. In short, it's kind of this amalgamation of all these working everyman who Mike has been around his entire life. It's the idea of this guy who is driving this old 1985 Chevy pickup that Mike has. A lot of that, it revolves around him in the cab of his truck. It's the radio and the road and the job sites and the local joints that he's visiting. It's all those things that you think about from one spot to another. Maybe you're going home after a long day of work. So I'm not sure if there's many commutes that are in that 10 to 15 minute range anymore. That's what I kind of grew up around. Obviously a little bit more of a small town vibe. This is obviously me being nostalgic in some sense, but but I really do feel like there was times that you felt like you kind of solved all the problems of the universe in those 10 minutes. Definitely not. But at minimum, there's sometimes that momentary satisfaction or that momentary bliss. All's right just for those moments. And a lot of times you can just feel like you put the problems of work or at home on pause while you're in that cab. Anyway, this new one from Mike and the Moon Pies is just really what the doctor ordered. I hesitate to call it a reset for them or anything like that, but in many ways, Wonder Grow On is another meat and potatoes country record from them. Obviously, I love Cheap Silver and Solid Country Gold. I love Touch of You, the lost songs of Gary Stewart. They pushed the envelope. They were creative, inventive. They scratched those itches that you didn't actually even know you wanted scratching. They were bold and decisive steps that challenged the status quo. I loved that. They loved working on those records. And I think a lot of fans really appreciated all that hard work that went into those. One to grow on, it doesn't have all the set parameters of those records. And in many respects, it feels more like a natural heir apparent to Steak Night at the Prairie Rose. Obviously, that doesn't mean that this record didn't have its own challenges. We talk about those during this episode, matter of fact. At the same time, it doesn't mean that this record is them mailing it in either. I genuinely say that this is really them at their peak at this precise moment. As far as their playing, the arranging, the writing, the storytelling, it's really some of the best work they've done to date. And maybe that all says more about the Moon Pies as a collective than anything else. That even when they aren't cutting Lost Gary Stewart songs, when they're not recording at Abbey Road in London, England, they're still pushing the envelope. That they're still delivering the best country music at the moment. Again, One to Grow On by Mike and the Moon Pies. It's out Tuesday, August 10th. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sultal. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. 
For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that Western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Soto is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus. There's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. All right, let's keep this one really, really short. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're over on iTunes, leave one of those five-star reviews. Check out the New Slang merch store over at newslangpodcast.bigcartel.com. Over there, we have t-shirts, koozies, coffee mugs, and all kinds of other stuff. Everything I just mentioned, it will be in the show notes. All right, let's get into it. Here is Mike and Adam. You know, we have uh, a new Moon Pies record now coming out just on Tuesday. And for starters, like that's that's old school going going <laughs> yeah. to the Tuesday rec- uh, release date. One to grow on the eighth studio record. It always feels like there's a new Moon Pies record on the horizon. Um, I guess what I gather on this one is that you guys have kind of created that every man blue collar character to. Uh, to follow on this record uh i guess like where where originally did that kind of the the creation of that character um start mike where, where, where do you feel like you uh first started feeling like that's that's the direction you guys wanted to go with this one i think when i started building that hour on the hour song and because that song is really like um <laughs> it's kind of a guy that doesn't really uh care about listening to the country songs i care about listening to <laughs> i was like maybe this isn't this isn't me <laughs> yeah and i started to kind of track that down a little bit and i had like some other songs that i knew we were going to use that like the brother song was like an older song but it was like a story song and so that's not really me either that's a character i was like well, maybe i can do that a little bit more and then I started to, then I really started to build this narrative around this truck, this 85 Chevy. And because then I was like, okay, so this truck kind of feels to me what these songs feel like. It has the same aesthetic to it. So then I was like, okay, so 
I'm the third owner of this truck. Who's the guy that bought this truck in 85? And like, what was he doing in that truck? What was he listening to in that truck? He was doing like construction work. I can tell by the way the bed's fucked up. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, so I started to kind of just dive into doing that. And then it wasn't really till we were done. We had all, had most of the songs done. It's like, if we sequence this right, it kind of moves in a linear narrative with this one guy. So we kind of just kind of built it from scratch after I kind of figured out, well, maybe this isn't the guy I'm, maybe I'm not the guy I'm talking about. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah no i mean like that um once once i i guess i i realized that it was kind of circling this this kind of character it all made sense like you know i listened to the record a few times beforehand but yeah you do go back to that guy sitting in the truck essentially time and time again whether that's obviously like the uh paycheck to paycheck kind of blowing his money and living there's a lot there's a carefree. lot of there's a lot of just like it seems like that character sitting in his truck. There seems mm -hmm. like to be a lot of that thing about it. I think that's what kind of I don't know. I didn't maybe necessarily mean to do it that way, but I started to I was in that mindset where I was like, what do I want? What do I want to listen to if I'm driving down the highway in West Texas or something in that truck? What am I listening to? And, you know, who am I? So I, I kind of started to build that way. Now, I mean, I I can totally understand if you like when you heard the record before you knew that narrative it still flows as kind of like it's me or like the normal records do. But I think like you say, once you, once you get hit to that idea that we were kind of going for that, I think it really, it makes the records, you know, it makes more sense a little bit to me. Yeah. And you know, like there's that, that hour on the hour song. I, I just love the imagery of that guy kind of like being stuck in the truck, but avoiding the, the one thing, that is the entertainment in the truck, the radio, clearly that yeah. is such a, the, and I, I, I feel like that's my favorite song on the record and it has that build up, and then that release, that tension all goes up in, I guess, whatever the third, third minute or whatever, how, how fun was it building up that song where you have all that rising ascension and then, you know, you just have that kind of like, you know, just the, the release of it. Um, and you really go off on them on them damn vocals there. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was I mean, it was a linear song really to begin with. I never really had like a like a solid bridge for that because like the vocals over that bridge part where I'm singing are also just basically the same thing as the verse. I just, you know, up the ante a little bit on the vocal thing um, until it hits that solo. And then Zach crushed it with that steel ride right there. It's so good. Um, yeah. He really like Zach was really good this time about like not that he's not before, but um you know selling like listening to like the melody line that i'm singing and what i'm talking about and really selling that on on steel i thought he did a really good job but yeah that song was you know it's a lot of these songs are kind of linear on the record but that one for sure it had to go somewhere i think we did a couple of different versions where you know we would bring it back down at that part or whatever but i don't know adam really kind of took the reins on on arranging that one i think isn't that right adam yeah well we basically just wanted to to do like as we're telling the story like to really have those to let the music be moody and mike really tell you where it's going vocally so like you know for that one it's building up to that final chorus like the bridge is huge he sings right into that steel solo the steel solo's doubled you know if it's so good play it twice and you know he's doing a stereo thing and then 
finish it off with a baritone. And then Mike, when you don't think the song could get even bigger, Mike takes that final chorus and just jumps up in his melody and just takes it out. And I think that's what we try to do that with uh, with a few things like this, like um, um, social drinkers. Hey, uh oh, got loose there. Uh, social drinkers, too. You know, it's like we want to take these cool linear stories, but take you all over the place like a Scorsese film or something like that. You know, wanted to really like make it cinematic. I think that's what we really wanted with this record was to be a very cinematic record. I agree. And social was the was the perfect example as the other one, because that one is a total linear song. I mean, it changes keys every time that we come back around and it builds up to that same thing. And it just sounds like there was a lot of moments when we were tracking it. I was like, let's go to make it. Let's try to make it like as epic, you know, uh, as possible at the end where everything builds to this giant crescendo um brother does the same kind of thing i mean i don't know yeah. it, it, they really worked out it is it is cinematic to me as well you mentioned scorsese i was thinking like paul thomas anderson boogie nights <laughs> like you know how they would like uh track the party scenes like they'd go in and like you know go to yeah. one room come back out go out to like the outside like by the pool circle around the pool coming back and like you just kind of get uh, a really great idea of like the how that that house in Boogie Nights is set up. That's very much kind of the what I was thinking with social drinkers. Because you're like kind of like visiting. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you guys, like that's the that's the music <laughs> video. I like this, man, because I love tracking <laughs> shots. You cannot put a tracking shot that I don't love. <laughs> yeah. like, if the record plays out like a tracking shot, then I'm 100 percent on board. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we nailed it. Holy. Yeah, that that's a awesome. the uh so like one of the, I guess like that, going back to hour on the hour, that one line where you're like, um, I'm paraphrasing here about, I don't need no troubadour, blah, 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 walking out the door. Like that one right there is just, I don't know. It's, it just like epitomizes that song in such a way where a lot of times, like you guys have always done, you know, these honky tonk songs, these country songs that, you know, if you're just listening along, they sound great. But like that song right there, that that line specifically, you have like a lot of emotional weight, I feel, in the way you uh, deliver that line. And I don't know, it's just uh, it's really, really that, great. That 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 is one of the I appreciate you saying that because I, I think about that a lot. It's hard whenever you whenever you're writing a song, you can write a, a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus. But then when you get to the bridge, you need to sum up the entire thing in like two lines or something like that you have to like cl- mm-hmm. put the close the door on the whole thing right there and that's one of the first times i think in in, in our, our songs that I, I felt really good about that encapsulates the whole idea of the song you could have just that bridge and understand what the entire song is about so i was really happy that that turned out that way so i'm I thank you for noticing <laughs> yeah yeah well you know i think like uh we've we've talked a lot over the years we've talked off uh like uh, often about movies and music. And if it's one thing that it's always come back, back is like the, the wire. And I tweeted about it earlier. Is that like a straight yeah. wire reference or no, is so we, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out yeah. which one is the wire. It's the wire. Oh. Yeah. Because we're like, cause we're, we're are wire fans. And I think mm-hmm. subconsciously it's always going to be in there. They're like yeah. wire but is maybe I'm the saying. only one show that everybody in the band like <laughs> yeah okay so it's growing pains and it's uh 
you kind of switch it up where Omar, like one of the things Omar always returns to is a man's got to have a code. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that, that first line is, is like a paraphrase of that line. So like when I, when I first heard it, I was like, did these guys just throw in a wire reference or is this like just something subconsciously gotten into there? That that was subconscious. That totally makes sense, though. But that totally that, makes sense. That, yeah, yes. that, that that checks out one hundred percent. I love that. Yeah, I love that you guys are like shit. Where is that line? Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking of we, me and Adam. That's why we were on the phone when you when we got on this call. It was like we were trying to talk about where the hell is that wire, the wire reference? <laughs> because yeah. of course we would, but like, what did we do? And yeah, and of course it's an Omar line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man. I like wow. the idea of when did I tweet that at? yesterday yeah. um, and you guys just kind of having like a group call and you just <laughs> yeah. like assigning seasons. There's five <laughs> guys in the band, like everyone gets a season. Adam, you have to go through the entire thing. OK, yeah, like just proofread <laughs> over. <laughs> I think I think it has des- definitely in- inspired a rewatch again. Oh, right. yeah, because I mean, we're going to be out for. I mean, almost two months. So it's just like, yeah, we're, we're like be okay. watching the wire on the bus, the entire tour. Yeah. Just having the wire going. Yeah. It, I know like uh, for fans out there, it's like, you guys thought this was the, the concept record. The next one. <laughs> yeah. Just like all about that. Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Or is this, is this McNulty? McNulty's kind of a, yeah, an every so. man, a common yeah, man. He is the every man. He is the, yeah. <laughs> he is our character. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I guess, like something that I wanted to talk about is, you know, like the last few records have had more of a um, a specific kind of sound and feel that felt like you guys obviously, they, they fall within that Moon Pies catalog, but still, you know, like the um, the Gary Stewart tribute record was very much a, these are lost Gary Stewart songs. Um Cheap silver, you know. There's the the Abbey Road aspect, the the cosmopolitan country, the the strings and the horns, uh, all that kind of stuff. And those feel like you know side roads. This record maybe I think perhaps feels like you guys kind of just going back to the the honky tonk record, if you will. Um, it feels like if this is the the linear path from I guess like Steak Night. Uh, where those other ones are maybe like little pit stops. Did you feel like this was like just going to be the next record had to be kind of like a, you know, meat and potatoes country honky tonk record kind of maybe going back and hitting a little bit of a reset? I mean, there was that thought, but I, you know, like, I'm not sure this is the record we intentionally were going to make at the time anyway, when we were setting out to make another record anyway. Uh, and no. but we, I mean, we were we were making it back at the old dog again, so we were kind of back at the home of the steak night thing. So that definitely influenced that. Um, I don't know. I, I was talking about how a lot of lately, I guess the past few records have been kind of victim of circumstance records, like the cheap silver record came because we were, you know, we had this idea, and it so happened that we were going to be going over there to tour, and we could make it all work. Um, the Gary record came about because we had the songs and we were going to kind of make that record. But then when the quarantine thing happened, then we we're like, well, let's finish that record and do it that way. And then, you know, this one, I was sitting at home writing about the kind of things I used to write about because I'm kind of back in that zone again. So I think, it, you know, I, I couldn't have I don't think I really meant to do it that way or we meant to do it that way. But um, 
it's another victim of circumstance kind of to me. And I'm, I'm glad that it worked out that way. And, and I do, I do agree that it's a little bit back to basics of what the band was kind of about before. And I don't think we really had a sound in mind other than just playing to what the songs were and kind of building that character through the, through the, through the sound of the record. This episode is in part brought to you by Charlie Stout Photography. Charlie Stout has long been a great buddy of mine. And for as long as I've known him, he's always had a good eye. A good eye for ideas, for lines in a song, and notably, an eye for what makes a great photograph. Yes, we're going to roll with that tried and true cliche about a great photographer having a good eye. But it's cliche for a reason. More often than not, it means it's true. Right now, I want y'all to head on over to charliestout.com to get an idea of what I'm talking about. While you're at it, go give him a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Stout. Right now, he has about 50 photographs for sale on charliestout.com, with a vast majority of those being landscapes and sky shots of West Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. The American Southwest, if you will. A lot of cacti and clouds, windmills and open roads, sunsets and stardust. He captures a lot of what I love about West Texas and these dry, arid climates. That's mainly that vast emptiness that can really make you feel small. The depth and the weight and the intensity, it's all in there. Right now, he's doing a special on his prints. Each week, he releases a new photo. And for one week only, that photograph is at a special introductory rate. For just $25, you'll get an 8.5 by 11. That's just about half off the regular price. For $75, you can get a 13 by 19. And for $110, you can get a 17 by 22. After the week, they go back to regular prices, which are still an absolute steal if you ask me. Also, just a pro tip, keep a watchful eye out on his Twitter. He's consistently posting one-offs, errors, and randoms on there that are for sale that are in the flash sale variety. Again, that is at Charlie Stout for Twitter and Instagram. Head on over to charliestout.com, grab a signed print, buy a record, get yourself some nature sounds and some nature shots. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I was just saying, being a little more like not as strict on the, okay, this is a five-piece band or six-piece band. You know, this is like, okay, we want to add a little extra stuff and, oh, we want to have some guests on here, like more like real, like true guests and, and, and do a little more produced, if you will, you know, double some things up or, you know, add some things that may not be in the live show, but you won't miss, but just to give that sound, give it a bigger, a bigger sound. Um, And I think, I think, you know, we came into this just throwing songs out there. Like Mike had all these ideas. And we just demoed and we just started with demoing and I don't know, there's like 20 some odd songs, you know, and then it started to narrow down and we're like, okay, what works together? And we started doing that. And then it was a, okay, this would have been cool. Like if we were making the steak night record, but man, this song could, there's just something about it. We're getting there, but we're not quite there. So we have the time. We don't know when we're going to tour again. So let's go back in the studio and try, you know, take what we did but make it better, whether it's, you know, I mean, we would, this, this record was the toying around with, with chord changes and melody ideas. And, and even going back to like the song brother, 
there's so many versions of brother that we've had since it was written years and years ago i mean there's a more of a bluegrass version and like a faster country version and there was a straighter one there was a funkier one that has strings on it from abbey road that didn't just didn't make sense for that song you know and then finally you know it kind of hit i was listening to some i was listening to a podcast with bootsy collins and he was talking i think to quest love and they're talking about just getting out of their you know out of their comfort zone and listening to other stuff and everything and what random things will inspire something that not necessarily goes with what you're working on and that's when uh that's when i was just like just thinking randomly i was running listening to the podcast and i was like man wreck of the edmund fitzgerald gordon lightfoot like <laughs> what if we just take it and make it like an epic song with a big hook rather than trying to like you know like tell the story but then have these cool musical hooks and stuff and then immediately you know i called mike up and i was just like dude and then next thing you know he's sending me these ideas back and i was like yes now we're going somewhere like i think we finally found it that beats just mike with an acoustic guitar yeah once you, you found know? that pocket from the like the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald thing that really changed the game on that song because it was it, it was it, it changed it to where we could really build that song and like like you say like an epic way but how I, like I think there's a version from way back years ago where I was kind of trying to do the same thing that I did uh, with with social drinkers, where it would change keys every time to build up. Yeah. Yeah, we do have one of those. <clears throat> so that really kind of fixed that that problem, you know, with me is that that was a good and I don't even like Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I don't I don't <laughs> like that song at all. <laughs> but it, but that but that really solved the problem on our on our song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Oh, no, no. I was just saying just ideas like that. And so like the whole process of this record was so different for us because we could we could track the whole thing and have it like what we would think of a long time ago as being done, but then being like, man, well, what if we did this? You know, a lot of late night calls or text messages and being like, hey, that's cool, but it could be cooler, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we just did a lot of that with this record because we had the time to you know and we could and and it wasn't stuff i think a lot of that stuff gets worked out on the road and we weren't on the road so we weren't around each other five or six days a week and toying around with ideas during sound check or you know that dead space before showtime and there's guitars in the sprinter or in the bus you know it's like we don't we didn't have any of that going on for a year so it was a lot of phone calls zoom calls hey what's this idea oh do this you know and 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 what we started with the Gary record with Catlin and Zach being able to toy around with things at home to record, they were just getting ideas together. And so when they would walk in, they would have some ideas and then we would build and, you know, bounce the ideas off one another and, you know, build from there. Yeah, that makes all, all a lot of sense. Um, it's, it's obviously this, that this past year, the, the way people have been stuck at home has, uh, you know, it's either been a good thing or, or maybe like a hindrance on the recording. I think if you were, you know, like a young band, you know, it could be very, very, if you're a young band trying to make a record during this time and we're recording remotely or recording, you know, in these very, very small isolated pockets, it could be, you know, a little hard or a little daunting. Um, with y'all though, like, I almost feel like, you know, having that space, since you guys know each other already, having just that space 
um, was a good thing. You know, you mentioned kind of like how all this probably would have happened during sound checks and, you know, conversations like that. And, um, you know, you obviously you can catch a lot of just the moment, you know, everyone in the same room feeling each other out and like some magic happens. Right. But maybe like in this, like you still are able to capture that magic just because you guys know each other so well that maybe the time has uh, has been a little bit of like the, the marinating process. Yeah, I was like super torn on that whole thing. Like, you know, like as far as the the situation with being home or whatever that, you know, I was kind of cool with that situation anyway. I mean, I had a really good year. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't I was in a good place um, other than not being able to really tour or work or whatever. Um, but like Adam said, like, we, we didn't know when we were going to be able to tour this record. We knew we were going to make one, but like, and we, and we really hadn't finished touring the silver record by the time that we had stopped. And, and we obviously didn't tour the Gary record. So there was really like, we could wait, like, you know, it could be two years before we really drop another record and it would still totally be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to be where like, we were going through so many edits and rewrites and we were getting to the end of it. And I could tell like some people, you know, I was burning out on some of the yeah, records. I was and, burning out of it. Like, yeah, like it sometimes I think I was thinking, well, we have too we had too much time to do this and it was going to hinder the thing. You know, I mean, there, like there's versions like th- that hour on the hour song. I wrote a completely different song like prior to that. And then I just kind of like rewrote the entire thing. Like I didn't save any of the lines. I just kind of started over from scratch on that song. So there's a whole nother song probably back there somewhere. but. I, it, I can't, I couldn't tell at a lot of moments if it was a good thing or a bad thing to have so much time to be able to, to really work and, and think about it too much. So I think if you can overthink it sometimes, and if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't stick with what comes naturally at first, then you might kind of ruin some of that song or, or ruin the idea of it. So we got lucky that I think we, we stopped at the right time, but um, yeah, it was, it was touch and go there for a minute on, on where, where I was sitting with it. There's always times when I, I love the record and then I hate the record. Then I love the record then I hate the record. And I think this was the biggest emotional roller coaster on a record that I've ever had, just because of the time that I had to think about it. So it was good and bad. And just still dealing with the unknown of like, you know, I mean, honestly, we even had a later release date for this record, but then we were like, man, we're booking all these shows for two months, like full on touring. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen later. So, but these dates are happening. Let's put this record out. You know, it just makes sense to get out there and, you know, have something that, you know, we're passionate about to put out there and, you know, play for everybody. And so then we up the release time on the record when we're going to put it out, you know, and making it happen, you know, doing what we do, basically doing what, you know, Mike and I are known for. (laughs) Which is just kind of just whatever happens. (laughs) Yeah. We just go with the flow. But it's, it's funny how much I think, you know, we, we never were really, I don't, I don't think we were second guessing the record as much as just like, just what's going on. And so that made us look at the record in different ways, you know, and sometimes it was just like, is this done? Is it not done? Can we do it better or whatever? But ultimately it was just us dealing with the fact that we didn't know what was going on in our careers. Are we going to have to do more online shows? We're going to have to, you know, 
keep things going and trying to like sell more merch and stuff online or are we actually going to be able to go out there and do shows and stuff like that and and let's not let's not like totally ignore the idea that there's a lot of pressure on there at least to me there was a lot of pressure on this record because it's kind of a follow-up to two records that were like pretty well received i mean three even you know if you include state night but like you know to follow the cheap silver record it was you know we had to do something and the gary thing really worked out well as a follow to that just because it wasn't we weren't trying to do anything we were kind of you know just making those those songs our songs yeah so this is like now what are you really going to say now it's time to say something again so and we're we're in a like a social climate where saying something is seems to be very important you know what i mean um it's, it's hard to just you know make a straight honky tonk record or you know just like a bottom of the barrel whiskey drinking women chasing record or whatever so i don't know there was a lot of pressure on on, on that in my in my mind anyway at least when i was writing right yeah like that that makes a lot of sense there because in, in I, i'm assuming like there's some comfort with with cheap uh silver and with the the, the gary record where there's set parameters right like there's only like you you kind of know the the task at hand right and there's probably some some comfort in knowing that like this is the box in which we have created and we're going to create in this box where this is kind of going back to well there is no box what is the box and here's the box that we think and then like you know 100 days later just because (laughs) there are endless days um yeah, well, you know, boxes. how have we, we've erased yeah. th- this box already and now it's, uh, <laughs> what, it, yeah. what are we trying to, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this year has been, it's interesting. I think I was talking with, uh, not the name drop here, but, uh, <laughs> no, I was talking yeah. with, uh, he's, uh, he's going to have an episode pretty soon too. Garrett T caps about this, about how, you know, this year I'm interested to see like what what records come out of the quarantine year, what quarantine records there are. And I want to be very specific about this. I'm not talking about records about the quarantine, but records yeah. that were created within the time frame of the quarantine, because those are two separate things. And I think one is significantly cooler and better than the other. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a conscious thing that I thought about during, during like, you know, we started talking about press time for this record. I was like, I do not want to sell this as like, I'm talking about, you know, I don't want to have any, I don't want to have any references to the, to a pandemic or quarantine or anything like that. It's, it's, it shouldn't be that way yeah. just because it was, we were in the circumstance of making it under that, under that circumstance, you know, that doesn't mean that it's about that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that like, I think, um, the, the comparison that I had was, you know, right after nine 11, the Iraq war, Afghanistan, there was a, a very, like just a certain sound and mood and feeling of a lot of those records that came out of that era that there was clearly some record or some songs that were directly inspired by war. Um, But there was a certain climate. There was a certain kind of like angst out of that time where, you know, you could see that in, in bands like the strokes or like Interpol or like any of those kind of bands, uh, a certain feel. And I, I, I'm assuming, you know, in 10 years, we'll, we'll be able to look back probably and go, oh, this was kind of the, these records, these songs were, were written during this time. And hopefully like they're not all 
quarantine. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, only, the only one that I'll that I'll mention about just just to get it out of the way is the social drinkers thing. My 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 deep down gut feeling was the the chorus of that song. You know, I I missed the whole, you know, bar scene, right? But then I was like, well, I can't. I'm not gonna make this song about, mm-hmm. you know, the certain circumstance that I'm in. So and that was another character driven thing. I was like, well, let me write it from a whole another reason. And that was kind of a difficult thing to like tie, how to tie that in verse wise, into how do how do I get to this chorus where I'm not sounding like I'm just stuck at home because you know all the businesses are closed <laughs> or I can't uh, yeah. go out and do my job or whatever. So that was, yeah, I had to, I had to toy with it a little bit on that specific song, but everything else I avoided that a hundred percent. Yeah. With that, I can see like just a handful of other things that could pop up that, that applies to, mm-hmm. you know, like um, if you're trying to be, be sober and you have to avoid those kind of places, maybe That's you're kind of where I went with, you it. know, like, you're, yeah, there's that. There's like maybe you're a musician who stopped playing and you just you got like that regular day job now or you moved, you moved out of town. You moved far yeah. away from city yeah. life or whatever, you know, and that's kind of where I went with it is like I'm like there was even a line that I changed that used to be like bought a bigger house in a smaller town was one of the lines. Yeah. And I was kind of that's that was going to be my one line to sell the reason that I'm in this situation, mm-hmm. which I ended up changing to that. I'm never going to change the sound up here on a higher ground or whatever. It's just like so now. Now it's more of like a musician standpoint or something like that. So I don't know. It, it's it's um a little bit vague, but I think that's a good thing. I think a lot of things on the record to be a little bit vague are 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 good. That's what helps sells that whole character thing. Yeah, so much self interpretation, you know, yeah. on this record. That's always a, a great thing. I always love whenever, clearly, like I like when when artists make things very specific and like. You know, no, that's not what this is about. This is actually about this. But, you know, once you release a song, you know, that song becomes everyone else's song, too. Yeah. And it kind of like whatever. It doesn't matter what you wrote it about. It still matters, but it doesn't matter as that's not the 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 singular idea of that song anymore. It'll happen to me all the time. I'll have a song that I love and I know every single word to. And I'll have this entire idea of what that is about, but that really mm-hmm. ends up being about what it's about to me. Cause I'll read some story about, or hear some story about that song when it was written and it has nothing to do with what I was thinking it was about. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good quality in a song. I, I, I think. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned brother being the, an old song. Um, and then you mentioned how, you know, you, you guys probably had what 20, 30 songs what you said. Uh, kind of within the within this time frame what's like the what's the thing that was kind of added not necessarily last second but the thing that kind of made the the cut that you didn't necessarily think was going to be there but it you know snuck in maybe last second what's like the the newest thing or something like that growing pains was the last was the last <laughs> yeah, song that i, I wrote say growing pains actually um because i didn't know that was very like just an acoustic driven just me vamping that chord thing and i was like how are we going to do this you know i don't know if it's going to fit but um thematically it fit perfectly so like there's got to be a way to do it and it ended up being kind of like the title track um <clears throat> but that song definitely was one that i wasn't that was the like i wrote that song after we had pretty much i think finished tracking everything else yeah we I came, we came ba- back we came back to track. cut that yeah yeah um and then maybe that whose side you're on song was 
because uh, I had written that song for that Texas Cotton movie, and it's on the Texas Cotton soundtrack as another title called Thunder and Lightning, but it's just like me and an acoustic guitar. Um, and I made some like electric guitar noise over some of it or something. Um, but I wanted to rewrite, I love that song from the very beginning when I wrote it. And I would like to, I wanted to try it with the band at some point. So it really kind of panned out and it also thematically really suits the record. So I think that was kind of a late addition too, is like, well, we had some songs that I liked then we cut for the record, but didn't really fit at all. Like that honky tonk volunteer song and some other songs that we had, that just weren't flying for the same idea they sounded too much like a state night song or something like that and so i started to kind of dig back through other things i had written in the past to see if there's anything else that lined up and that one stuck out to me for sure so those those two songs i think were the late additions that still fit in the mold of the record this episode of new slang is brought to you by the blue light live here in lubbock texas blue light has long been the heart and soul of the lubbock singer songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas Americana country and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the blue light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the blue light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows, as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time, any of those specials that may be happening. While there, go check out their merch page. They have a wide range of hats, koozies, hoodies, sweaters, beanies, jackets, and so much more. You can, of course, get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band. Take the stage at Blue Light. Just ask the bartender and they will get you all set. Speaking of which... That's another great way of seeing who's playing there. Just go to the blue light. It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, the... uh... You've already kind of touched on it as far as, you know, feeling like the, the frustrations of, you know having too much time on this record or feeling like maybe you're out there in the woods, lost in the woods, kind of what, where are we going with this? But, um, you know, you guys also had a lot of these conversations, a lot of this back and forth, especially between you and Adam, um, with rewrites or like, you know, different arrangement things. You already mentioned kind of going through the different iterations of brother, but was there like, uh, and you've kind of mentioned that, you know, writing a lot of different lines and replacing stuff and starting from scratch. Um, Do you feel that like this has, you know, made you a a better songwriter, but not just like songwriter in I can write a song, but maybe more like storyteller crafting the story, the the linear story. You feel like you've come out of this, you know, with a, you know, a little bit more of a, a better idea of on how to, get the story the narrative throughout 
I do. I feel, I feel like, I mean, I feel like these are the best songs that we've written and, and it, I've, I've, i found, I've, I've known this about myself for a while that it takes me longer than a lot. A lot of people can kind of just, or at least it seems that way can really just crank some songs out or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of songs that I hear of guys that I can tell they cranked it out too. You know what I mean? And, and, and um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I just know for me, it, it takes me a few edits to get where I'm going and figure out where, where I'm at. So the more time that I had to do that, yeah, definitely. I learned something about my own songwriting because of it. And um, it, it, like, like you say, when, when, I, when I write something, I, I demo it out on my phone. I might only have a chorus or a verse and I send it to Adam immediately. So whenever we're, we're, we're pretty much co-writing everything from the very beginning of the song. So I think we got better at figuring out, you know, where we were headed with every song. And, and, you know, once we got into that groove of what we were talking about on the record, we both were on the same page of where, you know, what should come next or, or, or what kind of words I should be using. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, what, what kind of references we're going to make, you know, the, the time period that we're going to be talking about or whatever. So um, I think me and Adam got a lot better at co-writes because of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, we could just like, it just got to a point where it was like, you know, once we figured out the narrative we're trying to tell, and like The Vein was one of those songs where I think we went to so many different ideas of how to approach the subject and tying everything in together. And like, do we make it more obvious, less obvious? Are we, are we literal? Are we not? You know, and, and going back and forth. And then well in this version that was cool and this version that was cool and like you know just whatever suited the song you know and it's and it's and not i think when it comes to that like our walls are totally down so we're just totally back and forth you know just lyric ideas musical ideas well do this you know there's and and uh was a brother or growing pains or something or was one of them there's so many chord progressions we have and melody ideas you know, there's probably like 15 versions of one of those songs where it's just like, well, this is a cool chorus and this is a cool verse. What goes together? What can be? Is this, is this, are we trying too hard on this or what is, what is still cool about it? You know, and we can just riff back and forth, whether what we like and what we don't like and what really suits the song and suits the players. Like what, what can Catlin and Zach really take off on? And you know, and honestly, uh, on this record, I mean, everybody I feel like did so good, but even Kyle got really like expressive with his drumming and like wanted to try stuff and pushed himself and we would cut a song. And there's one of them where he was just like, I have another idea. I can do it better. Let me go back in there and play you my idea and stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, man, you're, you know, you can tell that he was, he was working during COVID just listening to other stuff and practicing and I think even some of our ideas then came off of that. Like, okay, well, we can get a groove like this because he's in that mindset. You know, let's try it. You know, a lot of that. I think I think it's the first time for me that, and I've heard, you know, I've heard people talk about that. I like, I remember when uh, Wilco used to talk about, like, especially for YHF, like they would throw everything but the kitchen sink, including the kitchen sink, at at these songs, and then and then once they would get to a certain point where they have everything in there, they would start to peel things back. Oh, did we lose Mike? 
I think so. He's he's going off on this long thing and <laughs> he is stuck. <laughs> but yeah, the idea of I know I know exactly what he's saying. The idea of like throwing all this stuff at the songs and then some of that even in mix mode and stuff of like, okay, we don't need this or pull this back so we can bring this in later, you know, and really build up a chorus or a bridge. <laughs> We're just having all the issues. There we go. I talk with my hands too much. Uh, like but yeah, right now. Around. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've, I've been expecting a text message from him. Yep, he's going to call back. But yeah, you know, it's that idea of throwing all these ideas at the songs and seeing what fits. And then sometimes when we'd pull back on something, then we'd have, we'd hear something that we could build off of then. And that becomes a new, you know, harmonized lick behind the vocal and stuff. A lot of counter melodies, you know, would mm -hmm. come up from that, you know, just from throwing it out there, then pulling it back. Yeah. Rather than, as I was say, I think Steak Night was such a conscious, like, okay, these are your parts and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, uh, and again, I made, I wanted that record to be able to be performed live in its entirety. You know, those guys sing those harmonies. Those are the parts, everybody, there's nothing extra. Now it's like, okay, we got a little extra. Yeah. What I was going to ask you, Adam, was, you know, obviously, traditionally, you've been a producer. You, uh, when, when, Ad, when, when Mike sends you something over, even if it's that, very first thing do you traditionally like are you starting to think sonically or or do you even go into like uh what you're thinking about what should be coming lyrically and and conceptually or or is it almost always just because you know you have that producer mindset that producer brain where you're kind of thinking sonically first whenever he first sends something over I'm always thinking of the song first. The sonic part's the easy part. Like we can come up with what the rest of the band is going to do. It's my mind at first is at first is a fan and like where I think the song can go. So it'd be like, he'll send me something. I'm like, holy shit, that is badass. I love where this is going. Okay. What can we build off of? Or if that, you know, that'd be a cool bridge. That'd be a cool chorus. And then like, well, here's my ideas, you know, and okay. You know, your character is going here okay well here's what i'm going to add to that or you know and it's like let's just make a song that i and i can't believe i'm going to say this and reference this but on the kiss unplugged there's some cool interviews and paul and gene are like you know no matter what we did with a song we wanted the song like if it could be an anthem acoustically then we can do whatever like if it's got a sing-along melody and we know the crowd can sing along and stuff like that and they're like that's all that mattered if we're sitting there with acoustic guitars and stuff so it's always one of those like if the song stands on its own by yourself just mike singing and playing it then whatever we do in the studio i mean it's still that's just going to serve the song with the band serving the song yeah no i i get that that makes a lot of sense there and i obviously a lot of songwriters have always pointed back to you know does it stand by itself if it's just vocal and guitar or that one instrument kind of thing um something that's i i guess i've been asking more folks about lately um is what what are those times where you know you're talking about throwing a lot of the stuff at the wall and you're talking and you're kind of going all these different directions and trying to figure out what what's that singular direction you need to go into um 
at what point or or is there any point where you kind of go oh maybe we got like two songs here uh does that ever come up where you're like maybe this is like two ideas maybe we need to like you know branch uh one of these off and make it its own thing does that ever come up uh, I, I I think there's plenty of songs, and at least in my writing process, where I've had a section that was like, well, maybe this is a totally different song. And that's, I mean, that happened to me a lot that I can tell. I remember on this record, especially with Hour on the Hour, there was uh, certain chord changes I was using a lot. And um, that song, I started to notice it a little bit too much in the other songs on the record. So I think I was kind of stealing some stuff from some other songs to create other songs that are on the record so that that definitely happened to me there's probably a couple of songs that are almost identical songs <laughs> on the album <laughs> i always laughed because uh uh i want to take you higher by sliding the family stone that song is basically on i think two previous albums in a different form with that one hook but it's like it took the third version before <laughs> that hit comes out of it. Like you could hear Sly just rewriting that one song with that one hook on the record. It's not like, you know, they, they were demos. No, he was just like, okay, we got this cool song. The next record, ah, we can make it cooler. And, you know, he changes it up a little bit. And then by the third record, it's like, I want to take you higher. There's the hit. There's the Something, Something's there. We just haven't found it yet. Yeah, we just haven't <laughs> found it. And they're doing it right in front of us on record. <laughs> what what he needed was a a quarantine. He would have been able to knock it out in one, one time. Yeah. Just keep rewriting and rewriting. Uh, yeah. The okay. So obviously, going to the the show aspect, shows are just knocked out all last year. You're talking about how, in a lot of ways, you weren't even able to properly tour the last two records. This record comes up. Um, not that like you guys don't like playing live, and that not that you don't like playing out and touring the world um but do you feel like this was kind of a also maybe a necessary break for for y'all to you know recharge the batteries or anything like that i i think so i think we were i think we were burning out a little bit i mean and we had a lot of stuff on the horizon that was big stuff and we were going to go to europe twice like i think you know there was some anxieties i think we all had about the how that year was going to play out anyway you know what i mean mm -hmm. like all the things that we had on the docket to do and make a record, you know, in the middle of all that too, because we were going to have to make a record for the next year. So I think um, that maybe cooled the jets a little bit to like, and I needed it for personally. I, I personally, I, I, I needed it. I mean, my son's three years old. He's about to turn four. So I got to spend like a whole year here. Um, it was, it was a good time for me to be off. And I think it made us reevaluate maybe our tour schedule a little bit um to maybe not have to do as many things as we were doing in the past and and dial it down a little bit and do the things that are really important to us the shows that are important to us the uh the stuff that we that we want to do rather than just kind of just grinding out doing busy work shows a lot so i think um we reevaluated some things and i think that was worth it to me yeah and i think the i think the band needed like a break i mean those guys were just going hard at it you know and and i think we talked about it on the last podcast but it was what was it, like 42 44 shows from january 1st to february 29th you know yeah. and then you know it was just like when at first like everybody just thought we we're gonna take two or three weeks off it was like whoo 
we need this. <laughs> we need I was this really, great. I was really stoked at that point when we thought that was going to last like two weeks. We put that show, that last show at floors. We're like, okay, yeah. like two weeks and we'll be back in the game. I was like, this will be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it snowballed, but uh, yeah, I, my liver needed a break. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and had to cut back on the drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and then we started Zoom, uh, Zoom gathering. Yeah, we got, we got, we got, so we're missing each other so much. We were like watching baseball games via Zoom yeah. and getting <laughs> drunk with each other on Zoom calls, just the band. And then, and what was hilarious is we'd have these moments where like, somebody's tv was like five seconds eight seconds behind you know and so everybody would be like oh and then one guy would be like uh-oh what happened <laughs> like ah oh, shit sorry dude oh <laughs> uh, it was fun I, I enjoyed those we should do those more often just yeah we should just randomly do yeah. some zooms <laughs> yeah the i never did the any zoom baseball watching or anything like that but uh specifically with i remember like one of my buddies he's consistently like 20 seconds ahead of me on like Texas tech basketball or football or something. <laughs> and then he's always like, Oh my God, do you see that? Or like, what the fuck? And I'm like, Oh God, dude, can you just like pump the brakes for like a minute just to be sure? Cause like, I'm just always a little behind and like, you know, I'm always kind of just in the, like feeling the dread no matter what, because <laughs> You have to turn your phone off during during sporting events now. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like you don't get on yeah. Facebook or something if you don't want to get a spoiler alert for like uh, Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> well, dude, like uh, with like, I, obviously, like I'm a huge basketball guy and the the NBA draft was, I guess, last week. And for 364 days, I have notifications on like four people on Twitter, if, whatever they tweet, I'm going to get like automatically. Cause it's always like a breaking trade or some shit. The one day I have to turn them off is on the draft because they will fucking tweet who the teams <laughs> are picking like a minute, two minutes before the before. And it just kind of ruins the, 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 the TV spectacle of it all. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just doing this for internet clout basically. Yeah. You, <laughs> you want to like, be first. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, it is. It's an arms race between Woj and, and Shams, and it's uh, got to turn them off. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I digress, though, you know, so um, obviously this past year, you mentioned kind of like those breaks working on this record. Um, any other little things that uh, you guys been been working on? Adam, you've been doing anything uh you have anything else coming out on the horizon well you know uh so mike and i managed zach wilkerson and then um i went into with uh uh space kernel management and brought so i became a partner in space kernel management um which is adam and jr and myself as the three managers and so we're now in the group with shooter jennings and boland and quaker city nighthawks and lily may and a lot of cool things have been happening just in that where i feel like we have a team now you know and it's not just me and mike and it's not just me and mike working on the moon pies and zach stuff too you know it's like we're helping out where we can and stuff like that um and from that you know working on a new zach record and um and then i turned around and, and over quarantine, you know, ended up 
getting back more into the producing side, which was a lot of fun. But now I'm like also glad to be getting back into like what we do. You know, it's fun to, you know, it was fun to get back and like uh, uh, working on a Midnight River Choir record and a Josh Grider record um, and a couple other things I can't talk about yet. Uh, but, but now I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we did these records they are really cool and I had a lot of fun, but Hey, we're going back out on the road again. And I know, I feel like when we're around each other and we're at our most creative, not even just for, for the moon pies thing, but you know, it's just little things when we're talking about Zach and we're talking about, you know, now these other people, like, you know, we're working on Quaker city moon pies tours and maybe even doing some shooter Quaker city moon pie stuff and uh and going over to europe together you know and doing more of that and it's like we're we're back into that that set like that groove that mike and i just have where it's just like okay you know we can just bounce these ideas off and you know what works what doesn't not even just musically but from the business side and so as fun as it was for that year and mixing some records with some people i'm i'm ready for this the normal again you know let's get back out there and you know just create not just create musically but just create create this business yeah the uh quaker city obviously there's a a little collab on here as well uh i'm assuming that was a an easy setup right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah man i do I, I'm, I'm so glad we did that just because like we were coming off the best tour of our career with quaker city like right when, this, it. When, when it all went to shit so like it, i felt shorted a little bit by that and because we had such a good groove with those dudes and i mean you know we just they're just it's a perfect hang for us and the perfect tour for us so kind of having them on the record is also just like a keep that spark alive situation so that we can continue to do that in the future because um i was you know i've been missing playing shows with those guys and, and being on the road with them so i'm glad that they uh were able to do it and it was so easy to set up oh yeah so so easy to set up <laughs> It was just, yeah, it was, it was a no brainer. And it's so funny too, because it's like, they were in the situation we are, which the, everybody was spread out and all over the place and trying to get things done. So it was just like, you know, getting all that and the way they, the way them apart were able to work together and like, they were sending them, sending each other what they were doing before they even sent it to us, which that's. I mean, that's just a band right there. I love that. And that's exactly, I think that's why we love being with them. Not necessarily just because personalities are perfect. We all love to hang, but they're a band. Like we're a band, you mm -hmm. know, they're brothers, we're brothers. And it's just like, cool. You know, they, we all feel the same way and love to hang and love to create. Yeah. There's something so like kismet about those dudes and us. Like we started around the same time. We've kind of had a similar trajectory. Um, I don't know. I just, it, like I've known those guys since we very first started, you know, we used to do Austin Fort Worth trade shows all the time. So, you know, it's, it's cool to be able to still do that this much later and, and now be actually having successful tours with them and making records with them. So yeah, it's, it's really, I love those dudes. Yeah. The, okay. So like this, I hate going back to this past year, but <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times a lot of these artists have been going this past year of, utilized uh the time at home to you know figure out ways to co-write with people close to them and i mean like in an area wise or in the you know maybe not watching baseball games over zoom but 
co-writing over Zoom, that kind of shit. Have you uh, have you been able to do any of that, or did you kind of keep it more all the the, the songwriting in house in uh, in band, if you will? I think it was mostly in house for us. I mean, I was really consumed by this by this record most of the time. If I wasn't like hanging out with the kid or working on my house or like doing something like that, I was just thinking about this record all the time. I did get a couple in. I, I wrote one with Brent Cobb um, that's on his record. And then I wrote another one with Edie that we, I think, cut for this record, but we're going to maybe use it later. Yeah. Or something like that. So, and he, because he told me he was going to cut it on, because he cut a record at finishing school or whatever. And he's, it's not on there. <laughs> it's not on that record, I found out. So uh, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I only did like those two. I had a couple opportunities. People were, people were hitting me up more than ever before about it. Um, but I just wasn't in the mindset. I was kind of, I mean, those two are my, it's very hard for me to find somebody that I really like to write with that, that I have that sort of relationship with. I mean, it's easy for me and Adam, um, you know, and, and we just bounce back stuff through text message anyway. So mm-hmm. I've never been one to like sit there and like sit on a zoom like this and, or be in a room with somebody and do it. I need the time or something separate. I need to be away from it. So um, it worked out with those guys because I have a similar relationship and we could, you know, text ideas back and forth and, and make it happen that way. So I'm glad I did those two and, and I'll do more that way. But I, it's just not really my bag to do it like a sit down and co-write with somebody. Yeah. The uh, when, when people were talking about doing the Zoom thing, Zoom co-writing, I thought, man, um, you know, I guess that's cool if like if you probably already know the person and you guys can kind of go back and forth but you know especially if it was if it's a new person um you already mentioned that eight second delay i mean like i i feel like that just throws <laughs> yeah. in like you know this giant you know wrench in the situation that can just completely make the the entire situation go off the rails pretty well, quickly I mean, with like with like Edie or Cobb or, or adam or anybody like that like we text enough to where we'll be texting back hooks, you know, randomly, mm-hmm. you know, between each other. And so we can kind of just write on our own and then like, Oh, Hey, I wrote something for that hook that we had in a text message two months ago or whatever. And then maybe that'll spark something to, for them to finish that thing or like that. But, you know, I'm also in a text group with, uh, uh, stout RC and Johnny Burke and not a single song has been written <laughs> in, that, in, that, in that text group. But you, you kept on naming people, and I'm like, no, no, there's not nope. going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Okay>. man. <laughs> you never know when it's going to really take off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm in a couple of group texts uh, with, with Charlie. Um, actually, you know what? I'm in one with Charlie and RC, and um, – and, and it's just never like hasn't been very fruitful. <laughs> well, not that they would ever say, "Hey, Thomas, let's write a song," but you know, <laughs> it's more like, um, "Hey, do you see what somebody said on on the internet?" You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole another text thread that we have going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the. Uh, yeah, I always love just the, that right there. The the inside joke kind of um where I'm sure every, everyone kind of has this now where you have the meme that is only a meme to like three people, four people and like <laughs> if you did it yeah. like if you just said it out loud or if you shared it on social media somewhere like 
no one would get it, but like <laughs> you know, our, it's, our, it's our that band, inside of a joke. Our band, yeah. our band text thread is is ninety eight percent memes. Yeah, <laughs> and then like two or every 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 three or four meme, there'll be like a van call. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like <laughs> meme 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 van call. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings? Question mark. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender, but these have been some of my Desert Door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some Desert Door, and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges. Never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count. But again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the changeup you've been waiting for. Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep. And honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, add some Desert Door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria, chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. Adam, what shirt are you wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing the uh, Valvoline uh, Vegabonds. Oh, the shirt. cease and desist shirt. I thought yeah. so. Okay, I thought you made it win and got, and got like a real Valvoline shirt. <laughs> no, I wish I would. <laughs> so much cooler. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they got the band got a this band got a cease and desist for this uh Valvoline logo. <laughs> the the cease and desist on on merch shirts is always the like because obviously there's a thousand shirts out there out there that all the great ones are almost always based off something else. I'm yeah, all, I'm know. like the, I instantly go to like the Bauman like Houston uh-huh. Oilers shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think about that one a lot. I can't believe he hasn't gotten one. And the, I mean, I like all the stuff that like Vinyl Ranch makes, like most of those are rips. 
and like my wife chase hates those rip things like you know she's a graphic designer she doesn't want to like rip anything off everything that she does is very original or whatever but like if she sees one of those it immediately is nope (laughs) yeah see i like the uh, i like the homage in something you know there's like that little bit of that homage well, obviously we do. We do a lot of homages, <laughs> but, not, but not on our t-shirt design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, I don't know, in 10 years, I'll write the, the expose on actually all these moon pie shirts are based off of these eighties country shirts, these, <laughs> these tour shirts of, <laughs> uh, Ch- Chase of Bellamy brothers and, uh, <laughs> Chase has a thing that she um, has basically compiled uh, like a, a list of all of the Charlie Crockett album covers and where each of those album covers was basically mm-hmm. ripped from. Where and it then, comes like, from. Yeah, because they're all identical. It's crazy. Like if you see them next to each yeah. other, it's insane, man. I'm Every spe- single one of them. Yeah, I'm specifically thinking of the, uh, the Valley one that mm-hmm. is very much, uh, who was it? Who, what record is it? I'm blanking on what it is, but it's like, yeah, that one specifically was like, holy shit, this is exactly, I, I don't think it was a paycheck record, but it was something. I know he's done that, that, you know, I know he's done that like haggard one, the one that has like the kind of rectangle thing with like the sunset deal on it, that mm-hmm. one, the, the newest one, um, I think is like a web pierce one or something like that, the Nashville sound one or whatever, um, or whatever that record is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's, it's, it's pretty insane i guess it's the same guy that does all those album covers i'm not really sure yeah a lot of that font is just like classic mm-hmm. you know like that's what i i love about a lot of those old record covers is like the font is so so specific and unique where i don't know like if this is probably something way too nerdy people are gonna like turn off right here is like uh <laughs> the invention of of new fonts you know or have we all kind of just gotten to this like homogenized thing where we only use, you know, 300 fonts or what? I don't even know what I couldn't even throw out a number. Um, but I will say that no, I don't have it in here. The uh, the Texas Monthly cover with Leon Bridges, mm-hmm. that font that they use on the front cover, I absolutely love. I haven't seen that one. I'll have yeah, to check it out. Go, to check go look out. it out. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I have it in here. Yeah, Chase is Chase is like a font fanatic and and she builds like a lot of those a lot of like everything she uses for us is pretty much built like the logo stuff that she builds for us mm-hmm. is all she built builds it herself. Um but yeah, she like she know you can show her anything and she will tell you the exact name of that font of like what it's called. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> she is an encyclopedia of fonts. It's insane. Yeah. There's that uh I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. There's a there was a documentary called Helvetica about helvetica because it became like the most popular really uh, yeah most popular font in the world and if you look you're gonna see it like everywhere and that's their entire point of the the documentary was like how it was developed and how like it's very very readable so like it's using a whole lot of logos um and i think some i don't necessarily think it's street signs that uh, that that people use but it's in a lot of like billboard kind of stuff but because saw, it's so straight and clean and sharp, basically. I saw, I guess it was like the anniversary of that George Strait Troubadour record or something recently. And uh, I, that album cover, it just says George Strait Troubadour, but it's like Times New Roman. Or it's like, it's, it's just like, <laughs> just so simple. <laughs> like, it's like a picture of George's face 
and somebody typed his name on top of it. <laughs> you, you know what I've noticed? And this is uh this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm not necessarily about it. And that's the, they've added comic sans to, uh, to, uh, Instagram. Yeah. So a lot of people will share, like they'll, uh, share something to their stories and like, if I start naming the people, you're going to go, oh, yeah, there's a commonality between them all being like, you know, 45 year old dads. Basically, It's a personality type that you. Yeah. Have. yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, um, the first time I guess like Comic Sans, Sans went into like meme form was whenever uh, LeBron like left from Cleveland to Miami and the Cleveland owner wrote like a fucking hate letter to LeBron and it was in comic Sans. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Dude's a fucking billionaire and is like his is <laughs> the default on his uh word Microsoft Word is in comic sans. It's comic sans. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But uh yeah <laughs> Uh, I promise that like, the, the new slang stuff is not going to be any of this. Uh, the, the, the promo for this episode will be in Comic Sans. Comic Sans. <laughs> or now it will be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been great talking with y'all. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and end it around here. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mooney. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, of yeah. course. Thanks, Thomas. Hey, I want to say real quick that um, picture you have hanging behind you with the two cowboy guys. Yeah, uh, that thing that there it used, it used to hang in uh, that little ghost town outside of Austin. Uh, I can't Jay Lorraine ghost town. And we filmed the Sunday music video there. And that picture is in that video. It's hanging on the wall in there. And it, we used to think it was me and Preston. It looked just like me and Preston in that video. We were like wearing the exact same thing. And so seeing it now, I like having flashbacks about that. So just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, dude, I found that one at like a, uh, at like a, a, a garage sale or something like that. And the, one of the main reasons I got it was obviously it's fucking hilarious. But uh, the other one, the other reason is because uh, my grandpa used to have a bunch of them hanging in his uh, vet clinic and the the one that i remember specifically that was just it, it, i still laugh about it is um so it's that the it's the the older cowboy guy standing there and there's a veterinarian and they're standing on a a little bit of a fence and there's a horse behind the fence and this horse is like fucking skin and bones and the the commentary or the quote behind it or below it is uh, something to the effect of like, I don't know, Doc, I woke up this morning and came out here and she was just like this, you know, like. <laughs> so, yeah, so you don't. So that's the only one you have. You don't have all the whole collection of. Them? No, I wish I fucking did. <laughs> that's all this room would be right here would be just the. We're going to find them. Yeah, that's, I'm going to start getting them now. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, no, that's the the good stuff right there. Well, that was a good one. I'm glad I got to see that today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying to see what else you guys can see. Obviously, I got like the Gary, uh, the guy Clark. I'm mm -hmm. at it pointing right here. The guy Clark photo right here. <laughs> yeah, I got a uh, Terry Allen's rules, which is like right next to the photo. Oh yeah, and like that was this thing like he he wrote it on a typewriter like the 
the rules for creating stuff. And it's just like the most ridiculous list of like, you know, drive, drive fast cars to get like good stories and shit. Like yeah, that. I, I think I remember you posted these before. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Oh, uh, <laughs> man, I've completely forgot. We could say uh, thank you for the uh, um, Garth Brooks uh, vinyl box set, buddy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you said you had extra ones i was like dude i'm on this venmo baby here's mine right here <laughs> yeah, mine's and uh well i'm in uh darby and i have this office in quana and it's sitting there in the other room to be played and i uh emailed both of you guys the uh the fan mixes of yeah. uh the, that live record which uh our our mastering engineer Eric, an independent mastering, he uh he did all that, so he does all the stuff for Garth and everything. But he was just like, "Hey, here's that uh here's the fan, <laughs> the fan mixes with the crowd on one side and the band on the other, which is just that stuff is so insane. insane. I, I I understand why they didn't use it because it's really crazy to listen to. Like, yeah, because everything is delayed, you know, on the right side, it's the crowd or whatever, so you hear like the the vocal the, the band slap off of the wall. Yeah, it's really strange. I like it. Uh, I, I mean, I like Garth live anyway, but um, that that's a really interesting sounding it's, it's a unique way to do it. That's for <laughs> yeah. sure. That's cool. The, the thing about Garth about in any of these like box sets that just gets me is. Dude, like this is a, obviously a box set, but this is like only half the uh, the catalog, <laughs> like the, half the 90s catalog. Come that's on, it. dude. Yeah. Like, he always he always leaves you wanting more. That's the thing about Garth. Like he yeah. went away forever. <laughs> you couldn't find his music. Like you never hear Garth Brooks songs. Like they don't play. Like you never. Hear, how often do you hear a Garth Brooks song on the radio? Not very often. Mm -hmm. Like he never gets any play. I mean, he doesn't have streaming. You know, when he tried to do his own streaming thing for a while, that didn't fly. So like he's, you know, he's always like he keeps his music mysterious. I don't know how that guy like decided to do that because he has such a huge catalog, but you just can't find it anywhere unless you buy his legacy box set and yeah. then you only get a piece of it yeah <laughs> then legacy 2 will come out yeah <laughs> but it's the obviously there's all these like walmart exclusive shit oh yeah um where i can't like there was there was a box set that my my mom bought me a couple of christmases back that had a bunch of like demos from like the but it was like the first two records only kind of thing <laughs> like only <laughs> demos from those like nothing extra uh from anywhere else and I know he did like a box set of like all the covers, all those covers that he did. But like, yeah, I used to have that thing that was like the, it was a box set, but it was the like all those live when he was doing those live shows, just him and an acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. all those things. And that was, that was pretty cool. And I don't remember, that was like, I, that was only CDs. I think it was like four or five CDs in that, in that box. Um, yeah. that, I think those were just tapings from that show from what I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This one right here, I, I've, as I don't know if you caught the story mike but it's the i had seen on twitter where like bj barham had said uh like somebody had tweeted at him saying that these were at dollar general so i was like what the fuck you know <laughs> and so i started looking it up and they were they were released like three or four years ago to dollar general and so i was like well okay 50 bucks is like not bad at all yeah like a box set so then it's like, okay, start looking for all the Dollar Generals in this area in Lubbock. And there's probably, like any place, there's fucking 20, 
20 too many too but at, yeah <laughs> but it was like what's well, do i do i just start going to all of them or like what do i do do i not need to print out the map and x them off as i go <laughs> kind of shit this one, this one. i'm like heading out to level land and there's what there's a fucking dollars general in the middle of nowhere and it's kind of a relatively new one and i was like well i'll fucking just stop in real quick i stop in I'm looking around. I look by like the DVD section because I just figured they'd be up there. I look up and there was like a stack of like fucking four of them, but right up there. And I'm like, you could just tell they were like collecting dust as well. <laughs> like, Not but, even on display. <laughs> yeah. Just fucking went ahead and bought all four. And like, they were like, they ended up being like 29 bucks or something like that. So Jeez. yeah. It's incredible, man. I can't, I don't know who decided to do that, but that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get a dollar dollar general distribution deal is what I need next. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, yeah. Walk in every dollar general. There's all our records. Yeah. Right there. (laughs) Yeah. One of those uh, you know, just a a display. Yeah. uh, A cardboard cutout, you know, (laughs) that whole thing. We can have a listening station. We'll just put like a disc man there with a set of headphones. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You can buy the disc man also for a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) The disc man, yeah. The uh, now that's the struggle that kids these days do not understand with a disc man is like you had to like carry it like this basically anywhere you were going. The 10 second like pre roll for skipping and stuff oh, yeah, that never yeah. worked. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you then you have the cassette adapter for your car. Mm. And then so you can listen to CDs in your car. Some Velcro on your dash where you can Velcro the thing. Put it on there. Mm. Man. Mm hmm. That's for real. The good old days, yeah. <laughs> does that does that truck your your eighty five have Velcro for the the? No, the guy the guy the guy put in an aftermarket stereo in there. But I'm 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 uh I'm looking at this one. I know a guy that owns like a old Bronco, and he uh found a company that makes the stereos that fit in that spot, but and they look identical to the factory one, except they're like like xm capable and like all that like it's really oh, really yeah. it's, it's awesome man because you wouldn't if you just looked at it you wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't the factory stereo but you get you know you could do xm and, and bluetooth and everything on that thing so i'm gonna i'm trying to find one of those for my truck i had a oh, yeah. briefly in college i had a 77 chevy and it had an aftermarket uh stereo that was am eight track and CB radio made by Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> you just like clicked it over and it had the one mono speaker in the dash. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. CB radio. Yeah. Yeah. AM, AMA track CB radio. All you need. Yeah. I hear you. Thanks, Mooney. I appreciate it, man. All right, that is it for this episode. Tomorrow, August 10th, check out One to Grow On by Mike and the Moon Pies. Go stop on by the merch store. Be sure to subscribe. Check out our presenting partners over at Desert Door, Charlie Stout Photography, and the Blue Light Live. And yeah, I'll see y'all later this week for another episode.